Welcome, everybody, to another installment of the DC3 cast. Um, usually, Zach and I are joined by our pal Vince, but he's not feeling too well tonight. So we decided we needed to bring in a ringer, somebody who has podcast experience, somebody who we knew could handle the pressure of being in the uh, in the hopper with us. So we called in my former Our Cosmic co-host, my friend, the publisher of Multiversity Comics, Mr. Matthew Malikoff. Hi, Matt. What up? And hi, Zach. Hello. So uh, tonight we are going to be talking about DC's television lineup to start, and then Zach and I are going to talk comics later. But while we have Matt here, we want to talk about DC's uh, TV lineup. So I think it's pretty fair to say that all three of us are rather big fans of The Flash. Can we start there, I guess? Yes. Yeah. Um, We're going to be seeing the multiverse, guys, like tomorrow on TV. (laughs) We're going to be seeing the multiverse. And uh, we're going to be seeing Jay Garrick and supposedly Jesse Quick and Wally West. And uh, this is real life. This is this is really a TV show we're going to get to watch. And that's pretty awesome. So um, I guess let's just start. What was maybe your favorite moment of Flash Season 1? Uh, do either of you have a moment that is, uh, that's like fresh in your minds? Um, I think for me, I was partial to those moments where we started seeing the reverse flash in action. Um, usually in tandem with the flash, uh, whether they were, whether the reverse flash is like taunting him and the flash is chasing him or even kind of like the first time they, uh, you know, you get that flashback episode where they're back in time and Uh you see them fighting Mm -hmm. in slow motion. Um, versus like how Barry saw the event happen when he was a child. And I remember thinking at that time, like, wow, like this is actually a superhero show with a budget that cares about two people running fast at one another. And that's awesome. Zach, what about you? I mean, that finale was probably in like my top 10 favorite hours of television ever. Maybe like, I just, there were multiple times when I, I stood up and my jaw like fell all the way to the ground just because I couldn't believe, you know, the, the things that they were doing. Um, but I don't know. I loved, uh, the rogues thought they did a really good job with that. Um, I love the episode, um, when he ran back in time. Um, I thought that was a, like a really good, surprising mid-season twist. Um, I don't know. I just really that that show. I feel like did, especially for a, DC, a CW DC show, like compared to Arrow's first season. I mean, it just took all the things that I think were maybe wrong with Arrow's first season. And don't get me wrong, I really liked the first season of Arrow, but it just like did everything right. Uh, not not everything, but comparatively uh my favorite moment i believe happened in the pilot it was either the pilot or the second episode when you first see harrison wells go into the gideon like room and when they showed the the newspaper with the flash saves earth in crisis i was like holy fuck they're doing crisis on infinite earths and i know yeah episode one or two and they were i think it was the first episode yeah Yeah, the the little Mm. stinger at the end yeah they they were teasing this gigantic story already and it was just i mean so incredible 
Really I think weird. my favorite moment from the pilot episode is where Barry wakes up and he's like, lightning gave me abs? <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty awesome. <laughs> um, I, I think one of the things that I come back, you know, I, I do the, the, the five thoughts recaps on Multiversity for the show. And one of the things that I think about all the time when I'm doing them is just that this is a show that if it came on when I was like 11 or 12... I don't know if my heart could have handled it. Like, it's so perfect. It's such a great comic show. And when I was a kid, I remember being... Like, I, I, I watched the... I'm old enough. I'm by far the oldest guy on this call. I'm old enough to have watched the first Flash show. I was like, um, I guess, eight or nine when that show was on, maybe ten. And I remember just thinking how boring it was because most of the show didn't involve him running fast. And, you know, <laughs> aside from the trickster... There weren't really a lot of, of of good villains on the show, and it was just you know it was it was very much like the Incredible Hulk show was, where there were like ten cool minutes an episode, and then if you're eight years old, there's forty five minutes of just really boring stuff going on. So I, this is the comic show I always wanted my whole life, really, you know, and I think it's so great that we get to live in a world where it's real, it's not hypothetical. And I think what's interesting about The Flash is um, if you think about it, The Flash only works because so many other programs didn't. Um, if we really kind of want to like go a bit further back into the early oddies uh, and look at Heroes. So Heroes is the first like major um, you know, network production to try being a superhero show that adults and kids could kind of watch. Um, and the, to that, ex- to a certain extent, it worked, but Heroes, um, and I feel like we can mention Heroes because they had a comic published by DC. <laughs> sure. It kind of works. Yeah. Um, even though now I think the Heroes comic is published by Titan, but whatever. It is, yes. Um, Heroes couldn't go the distance in that regard. It was really good at like creating this like complex drama where everyone had these like pretty cool powers, but it was it couldn't be like a full on superhero show, even with uh, Tim Crane and Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale and all these like comic book people involved. Um, and then you know you keep going through the years, and even like the uh, show from DC's distinguished competitor that's supposed to be a comic book related show isn't very comic booky at all. So when DC came out uh, and they had Arrow and Arrow was more in line with um, uh, whatever, with the CW type shows, I guess, as whatever you want to view that stereotype as it gave that first season was like where they worked out what they could and could not realistically get away with on TV. So by the time they got to season two and put the flash in there as a backdoor pilot, it's like, okay, now we can actually do, like metahumans and superheroes and make it work. I, I think it's interesting, Matt, that you went through all those shows and didn't mention Smallville because uh, to me, the the Flash is Smallville that works. You know, and Smallville worked sometimes. It did um, because if you, I don't know, did either of you guys watch it regularly? Mm-hmm. Not regularly. Yeah, okay. uh, I mean, Zach, and you'll remember, you know. By the time it got to season four or five, every DC hero but Superman was on the show, and it was yeah. a Superman show. So th- yeah. th- there was this idea of sort of world building and of introducing characters that that you know shared the same universe but weren't necessarily um, you know feature parts of the show. But there was still there was a lot of you know we we had Martian Manhunter and Hawkman and um, Star Girl and Supergirl and 
the Bart Allen Flash for some reason, and Green Arrow. I mean, I remember when they announced they were making Arrow, and they weren't using the dude who played Green Arrow <laughs> yes. on Smallville, being like, why would they do that? That guy yes. was a perfectly cromulent Green uh, Arrow. And, and then I'm, yeah. I'm so happy they didn't, you know. But I can't imagine going, yeah, my initial reaction was one of, you know, comic book fan outrage, but now I look back and think, oh gosh, I can't imagine if they had used him. It would be awful. I don't know if it'll be awful. But, well, you know, um, I, you know yeah. once again, I'm being hyperbolic. Yeah. I remember a lot of people really liking Green Arrow from Smallville, and mm-hmm. I never really got it. <laughs> I mean, like, he had nice arms that he was comfortable showing off, but, you know, other than that, I was I have, never super impressed. I think it, it's because um, on Smallville, Clark was such a not-hero that anybody who was remotely heroic... I enjoyed on the show because Clark was yes. so wishy-washy about everything. And, like, yeah. you know, the Green Arrow character actually had motivation and purpose and did things and didn't just mope about his beautiful girlfriends all the time. So <laughs> I think that's why I liked Green Arrow on that show. It was because of the reflection off of uh, off of Clark. He did mm-hmm. do a fair bit of moping, though. Oh, of course. I mean, it's a, it was Smallville. <laughs> Everybody mopes to a certain degree. I think the reason I don't think about Smallville at all anymore when I think about superhero TV shows, um, and realistically, I want to know, I probably wouldn't have thought of Heroes if they hadn't rebooted it, Mm -hmm. Um, but Smallville kind of falls into the same mental state for me as, like, Buffy. Not in a a bad way. Like, I I adore Buffy, and I I love Angel. Um, But, like, in, in terms of, like, how I think about them... Those are good shows, and they're certainly comic book or like nerdy shows, mm-hmm. but they never fully go the distance for me. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the things that you could certainly fault Smallville for, was that Smallville put its concept before its show. Like, the concept of Smallville was, here is how he becomes Superman. And if they had just tweaked that a little bit, they could have made a better show, but they had to, you know, they gave us fucking Supergirl and Doomsday. Before they gave us Superman. <laughs> and they just never really went the distance of making it a Superman show. It was supposed to be this preamble to Superman. And that's I think that's part of the reason why they couldn't do all they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Um, is, there, um, is there any part of the Flash season one that you hope season two can improve on? Iris. Absolutely. That's I think that's number one for me. I mean Iris again, I don't think Iris was all that bad. No. But she certainly wasn't interesting. Right. And it hurts that everyone else on the show is so interesting. I felt she was really just, you know, kind of defined by whoever she, where she fell on the relationship spectrum that week. Yeah. If she was, you know, more Barry or more Eddie that week. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Matt, were you an Iris fan? Um, I don't, I uh, understand a lot of the criticisms people have for her character. I'm not necessarily bothered by it as much, I guess. Um, I think you're both correct i think the biggest flaw here is that iris uh is usually defined by who she's dating but at the same time 
Um, I I think that she's a fairly interesting character that's just not given a great amount to do. Uh, and then when she is, like, I think I think the the actress that plays her like really shines at making Iris someone that like a character that I enjoy on the show. Um, the uh, just in in general, I think that the show could. I'm trying to figure out the the best way to phrase this. I think the show is fairly okay at at showcasing diversity in its cast. Um, I think it could do a lot better. And I think that DC is really rich when it comes to having a lot of characters that they can pull from. And they've shown that they're not afraid to like really just go uh, the CW in general. I mean, has shown they're not afraid to go like full DC with everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would love to see the cast expand I'd love to see Cisco actually like maybe get a chance to be vibe. I think that would be uh, they've t- certainly teased it enough that I think it would be a lot of fun. Um that's kind of what I am just hoping for is for them to kind of like start playing in the sandbox more and get uh, a little bit weirder with it and a little less white with it would be nice in general, you know. <laughs> I think that show is I mean I think that show is relatively diverse. Yeah, I I would I think so. <clears throat> it I mean, is, got... but it still pivots a lot towards... Uh, and obviously they have to because it's the Flash, and the Flash is white, and okay, that's that's yeah. fine. Um, but at, at the same time, like, there there is a lot more, I think, that they could do to really mm-hmm. give emphasis on the other characters that I think would be well, a ton of fun, like Cisco. That's uh, fair. That's yeah. Fair. Well, yeah, you've got Cisco. I think the... They've, they've talked a bit about Wally, right? Mm-hmm. And it's going to be more like the, the current version of Wally that's in the comics. Um, who's, a, you know, a bit, he, I guess he's closer to Barry in age. Um, and I think they've, I want to say I saw something about uh, Dr. Light, the female version. Mm-hmm. I want to say she's in the pipeline. For one of the shows, so... I believe she's on The Flash, whereas Mr. Terrific, I believe, is on Arrow. Okay. Oh, that's right. Okay. Mm. Um, so, so they are, you know, going a little bit more diverse with that. Um, mm-hmm. They're bringing in the Atom Smasher, who's another Jewish character. So there's uh, there's some... Uh, uh, that's Arrow, too, I think, actually. I could be wrong about that. I think... I'm really not sure. <laughs> it all blurs together. But it really, kind of, and you know, it does. It really does, and that's part of the fun. That's what I was going to say. Is I think part of the, the beauty of it is that we're going to have three <clears throat> shows once Legends of Tomorrow debuts in 2016 that all take place in the same universe, and that really, not even the same universe, but really take place, they're all part of the same story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a ton of fun last season um, just watching the characters like weave in and out each week, you know, it was like, it was almost kind of like you were watching two parts of the same show every week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I happen to enjoy one part more than the other. Um, yeah. But I will say that <laughs> I, I thought that, um, Arrow season two was almost as good as the flash season one. I agree with that. Maybe yeah. not quite as, as good, but it was pretty close. I just think last year Arrow lost the thread a little bit. Yeah. Um, I guess let, let's shift into talking about Arrow. Um, what was it about Arrow for you, uh, Zach, that you felt? Because I, I think Matt feels the same way too. Correct, Matt? 
Um, uh, some of um, not not all. Don't agree with all of it. Okay, uh, we'll get to me. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, uh, so Zach, what were the parts of Arrow that didn't necessarily work for you with this season? Um, you know, I'm trying to think. This season of Arrow, I felt like just meandered a lot. Um, it didn't have that strong, like, I've always, I felt that Arrow always struggles in, like, its mid-season. Mm-hmm. Um, it always does pretty good on the, pretty well in the first half. Um, and usually, like, has a pretty strong, like, mid-season finale. And then when it comes back, it really kind of, like, struggles to find something to do. But then, then, like, season two, it really kind of turned itself around, and I think those last, like, six episodes or so are fantastic TV. Like, I, I, my wife and I got to, I think, the episode where, um, and I guess spoilers are okay, right? Yeah, I mean, season it's, two it's, spoiler, it's yeah. Yeah, season two spoiler. But the, the episode where um, Moira dies, and it was just, like, you know, brain exploding, and we finished the season that night, and I think we watched, like, six episodes, because we <laughs> couldn't stop, and, like, season three never had that moment, you know, the the mid-season finale was great, um, I thought, but after that, it just really, there's, I, I even have trouble remembering what happened, well, um, because it's Ollie dead out. for about six seconds, yeah, yeah, except, <laughs> yeah, there's that, um, oh, the biggest problem with season three is that the flashbacks weren't interesting, well, that's what and, that's what I was going to say. Um, yeah, season two I did a really good job of pairing what was happening on the island with what was in the present. Um, whereas, like, season three's flashback story was really kind of unnecessary. Zach, did you watch Lost when it was on? Oh, man, Lost is one of my favorite shows okay. of all time. Me as well, and I know Matt watched Lost as well. To me, this entire season's flashbacks felt like the biling episode of Lost, where it talks about Jack's tattoos. And uh, like, yes, it was like <laughs> Stranger in a Strange Land. Yes, uh, it, well, that you're, it's perfect because it has it's even like similar geographical area to yeah. you, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I want to say. Yeah, I believe it was in Korea, right? Maybe ah. Uh, I can't remember. I don't remember either. But but you know, it, to me, it's like okay. I guess some people were curious about Jack's tattoos, and so they were they were running out of flashback ideas. Like, Let's talk about Jack's tattoos. And I feel like some people probably were wondering what ha- I you know one of the things that bugs me is on the first season of Arrow they say you kept saying I was on that island for five years, and they pretty much completely throw that away. And oh no, just kidding. He was he just wasn't home for five years. Oh wait, just kidding. He did come home a couple of times, but he wasn't home like publicly for five years. <laughs> and I feel like they're just they just keep stretching it more and more. And it's um to me that that that's a gross misunderstanding of what makes the show good. Mm-hmm. And I'm just I I was very very bored by the flashbacks this year. Um, and I also think that there's um. There's only so much I can care about the people on the show that aren't the original, like, Ollie, Felicity, and Diggle. I like the other characters. I do, but I feel like when the show strays from those three, that's when it kind of loses me a little bit, too. 
And mm-hmm. I felt like for most of this season, Diggle had nothing to do. Now he's got that sweet helmet, and, so he's going to have tons of stuff yeah. to do. Now he's a Magneto cosplayer, <laughs> so he's going to have tons to do on the show. Um, Matt, talk about Arrow Season 3 a little bit. Uh, so I don't dislike it as much as you guys do. Um, yeah, he he died in the mid-season finale and stayed dead for like a whole six seconds, but... I think that was to be expected. It's not so much um, how long does he stay dead, but rather like how does he come back? And I think that that story they did where, you know, Diggle was in the costume and everyone's pulling their weight back in the city and uh, what's his face is running wild. Um, That actor that's in like everything. Uh, Do you know, do you know the actor I mean? (laughs) No. Uh, Give me more than that. What? Um, the guy who's playing Brick. Oh. Oh, yeah, that guy. Okay. Yeah, I can't think of he's his in, name. He's in everything, and I want to say that he's Jason Statham, but he's the Jason, <laughs> He's not Jason Statham. He's, he's the, the basic other Jason cable, Statham. Uh, CW version of Jason Statham. Yeah, he's the basic cable version of Jason Statham. And seriously, like, he has been in everything. He had a lead role in NBC's The Cape. Um, <laughs> uh, what was his name? What was his name? Uh, Vinnie Jones. Uh, yep. So they had that arc. And like, granted, he wasn't like the world's most compelling villain, but I think the way that they kind of handled Ollie coming back to the city and Ollie has that big speech and he comes in on a zip line and <laughs> everyone's like, whoa, like you make zip lines look interesting. Um, and, you know, the biggest factor of season um, Three that falters is actually, I think, uh, they didn't make Raisha as compelling as they could have been. Um, he was amazing in the uh, everything leading up to that. And then, you know, he battles Ollie and it's this, like, epic fight and he pushes Ollie off the cliff and it's like, whoa. But when in your season two villain of, of um, Slade Wilson, there's so much more drama involved Mm -hmm. there's a lot more to like latch on to because they had to spend all that time on the island and you're like oh well now he's a villain so what happened in between those moments where they were best friends um hanging out together um on the island to now you know slade is trying to demolish the city and kill ollie um as far as the flashbacks go i think it was always a very limited concept um you know, it was always going to kind of be at that point where it's uh, maybe somewhat lost in, but it's like, okay, well, we're still on this island, so what are we going to do for three more years? Um, you know, taking him off island. Uh, I don't act- Did they actually state how long that additional adventure was in terms of time passed? Because realistically, like, it could have been like a Six week days. Yeah, or exactly. something, yeah. you know? I- um, it sort of felt a lot longer because they dragged it out, but I bet if you supercut all of the things off the island, it probably happens relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that that was all that every show that starts with flashbacks as a main storytelling device is going to run into that issue at somewhere down the line. And Lost is uh, we all love the show, but that is proof of um, yeah. that concept. Like yet at some point you do start losing what you uh, originally had or had mapped out. Um, so, you know, it might be interesting to see what they do with it in season four, because uh, assumedly he, they're going to have at least season four and season five have to have flashbacks, I guess. Flash forwards, maybe. Or something like that, yeah. <laughs> 
I would actually love to see, um, you know, the, the last season of Lost was much maligned for its flash sideways things. Yeah. But flashing to the Earth, Earth two. 2. Yeah. Flash, yes. Earth 2 era. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And Earth 2 yeah. era would have to have, like, the goatee. And, uh, you know, yeah, it'd be awesome. See, I don't know if Eric could get away with it. Um, the Having three DC shows on the air certainly opens up the content. Having the Flash uh, explore the multiverse in season two definitely makes that a legit concept. But I don't think Arrow as a program can make that the 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 real fun DC meta meta human, yeah. however they want to call it. I don't think they can make it work. I you know, and I still I still kind of feel like when Arrow started off, it was very much kind of aping like the Nolan Batman vibe. Yep. Um, and I th- still think it kind of represents that. Like I, I've said it before, I really feel like the Arrow and Flash on CW are kind of like the Batman and Superman. Um, that they that they will never be able to do, I guess. Um, and I kind of think they're going to stick to that. Um, not that Batman can't have, you know weird crazy time travel magic stuff but i was gonna say grant morrison has a bone to pick with you right now exactly exactly i know but um i yeah i'd love to see that i'd love to see some weird crazy arrow stuff i wonder and this is you know the the three of us are clearly the wrong people to ask about this do you think that there are a sizable portion of arrow fans who never watch the flash I don't know. I feel like if anything, it's the other way around. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think I think it's more the other way around, um, because the Flash pretty much came out the gate with everybody being like, "Oh, this show is so much fun." Yeah, and it's weird and it's kind of corny, but like he runs fast and he actually runs fast. Yeah. Whereas Arrow was like, I think I think the most you get out of um, people with Arrow is like, yeah, if you get through the first season it's really an enjoyable show see i i I binged the first season so i feel like i did not think it was as bad as and matt you and i've talked about this many times so you really don't like the first season of arrow no i i have watched every comic book show live and um i don't think i have given up on any of them um we'd have to like go through and name them all to see if i'm wrong on that but like i always stick with them and I remember an arrow just being like, Powers. This is... yeah, there you go. Yeah, I gave, <laughs> up, on... I gave up on Powers. Um, but yeah, I remember watching Arrow and being like, if this is like what superhero TV is, then I'm good. Um, I don't even remember what episode it was I was thinking of that. The one that really turned me around, I think, was when Firefly showed up. And I was like, oh, okay, like, this is, this is kind of cool. I think that's episode 10, maybe? Mm-hmm. Somewhere in there? Yeah, that might have been... It was around the mid-season that I think I got hooked. So, yeah, it was a good, like, nine or ten episodes in. Mm-hmm. Now, Matt, you watch Gotham. I do. It's another show where it's like, yeah, if you push through the first season, the second one's really good. Um, Zach and I did not watch it. So um, can you just give us, like, overall sort of a, um, you know a summary of what makes the show worth watching at this point? Yeah. Um, 
Gotham has always had one thing ever since the first episode. Um, I will take this. Uh, I will never disagree with this statement, uh, even if you put a gun in my head. But um, I think Gotham has always had an amazing cast. Uh, the show is is very perfectly cast. Um, you know, uh, Jim Gordon and Harvey Bullock. Um, you know, uh, Ben McKenzie and Donald Logue are so great together on screen um, that, like, at least half of the fun of watching Gotham is being like, okay, like, are they going to kiss now? <laughs> like, they they're, they just have so much chemistry together. Um, and that, that alone kind of made it really worth watching for me. But then, uh, as they started, like, you start seeing more of the cast and you get uh, Robin Lord Taylor as, as the Penguin who is maybe, like, the most perfect casting of all time. Um, and even like everybody else that kind of comes into the show and does little things like they had, uh, you know, Harvey Dent was in there for a little bit and, uh, you know, the Riddler is also working at the GCPD and I like the Riddler actor a lot Yeah, from the little little bit I've seen. That's, I think that was the main thing that has always really worked for the show is that the people that they have got on to be part of the cast are amazing. And even now in season two, like that doesn't go away. They've got this new character, that they're very strongly hinting is secretly uh, somebody else, uh, that the name that he gave on the show is not the correct one. Um, the name, his name on the show is Theo Galavan, if you guys want to Google that later and read some of the theories about who he really is. Uh, but he's, he's an amazing addition to the cast now in season two. So that's always been great. The, the main problem with Gotham is that, like, yeah, it was a procedural, and a lot of the first season is... Like, okay, what famous Batman character are we going to bring in this week and show the secret origin of? Like, is it going to be Two-Face? And are we going to have lots of cute references? Is it going to be the Scarecrow? And we're going to introduce the drug and, like, all those dumb little things. That everything else that was happening as the the continuing storyline was, like, I don't know. Didn't really have that a great connective tissue. Uh, by the end of the season, they kind of fixed that. And I think they kind of cleaned up to the point where was, they can have a reboot in season two that makes sense because now they have a cast of characters and certain villains that they can bring back. Uh, so for the few episodes that we've had this year, uh, one thing that I'm really happy with Gotham is they've gotten out of um, making this show like a once a week event where it's like, here's, you know, this is, this week is the origin of so-and-so and now it's an actual continuing storyline of all these things that the GCPD has to deal with once um, certain famous villainous characters break out of prison, or they're the early rendition of Arkham Asylum. And it's uh, weird as all hell. It is bonkers. And the this kid that they have who, uh, I mean, I guess it doesn't, like, it, can I spoil it? Does it mm-hmm. matter? Um, they brought in a kid in season one who was playing a character named Jerome. And by the end of his, and he worked at a... Um, at a circus, and at the end of his first episode, it was very strongly implied that he was the young version of the Joker. And they've brought him back as a main character, or main actor in season two. And he is insane, and it is so much fun to watch. Um, I think he does a very good impersonation of Heath Ledger while also kind of taking it in his own dark uh, avenues. And while they still won't call him the Joker, 
and there's other things that are going on with that character to kind of hint as to what his relationship is to the Joker or Bruce Wayne or whatever. Um, it's pretty pretty intense uh, to see him go nuts and just just flat out kill people at this point with no remorse. It's uh, yeah, it's fun. If you guys like that kind of crazy you've kind shit, of, you've kind of sold me. I kind of want to go start it right after this <laughs> again because I watched like the first five episodes, I think, and then. I was watching it, uh, I don't have cable, so I watched it on Hulu, and I think I missed that, you know, point of no return where they start, like, taking episodes off, and I didn't, you know, mm-hmm. want to make the effort to seek them elsewhere, so I just kind of fell off, um, but I actually, I just came, like, tonight, I just came from work, and um, it was on for about, like, 10 minutes before somebody changed the channel, and it did look insane. Yeah. Um, uh, it pretty much is. <laughs> That's the best way to explain the show. So here, uh, here, here is my theoretical beef with the show. And again, I, I haven't watched it since season, season one, episode two. So I could be completely off on this. It seems to me like it is the exact same... The, the, it's the exact same problem that Smallville has where they're introducing the world of Batman before they're introducing Batman. And it just seems silly to me that Bruce Wayne would be a decade plus younger than every other important character on the show. Like, that just seems very, very silly to me. And I feel like they're put on the cart before the horse with just about everything they're doing on the show. And and, and for all the accolades of oh this guy is playing the joker is really cool the joker shouldn't be prominent in gotham until there's a batman to make the joker like that's the whole the whole idea of batman is that batman gets so good at stopping bank robbers that the bank robbers have to go batshit insane and step up their game to go up against batman so if, if you're if you're introducing all these crazy villains before you introduce the thing that makes them into the crazy villain it just seems to me like you're missing the entire point of batman i I'm going to say this on the DC3 cast, and you guys are going to get fan mail, or I'm going to get hate mail. Man, I hope so. Let's get our, let's get mean, our first fan mail. Yeah, exactly. Come on, go, go. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, uh, you're going to get hate mail for this. I'll take okay. it. Um, but I think that Gotham is a better show because nobody gives a shit about what makes Batman Batman, or what makes... Uh, what makes this show worthwhile is because of the Batman mythology. I think they never cared about it in the beginning. Um, and I think it's the smartest move that they've probably made because, uh, and you're, you know, don't get me wrong. Your statement is, is correct. Um, it, it is, it is the right opinion to have. It is the right factual statement. Um, the whole point of a character like the Joker existing is because he's the polar opposite to the Batman. Um, Gotham has its own reasons that if you watch the show, you'll kind of see what their logic for the Joker is. And it uh, works without Batman, and I think it works all the better for it. So I'm that's not, my, my statement. I'm not Fuck den- Batman! <laughs> I'm not denying that all of that could be true, but it just seems to me like if you're going... If I'm going to watch a show that takes place in Gotham City, there are certain expectations that I want from that show. Sure. And, that, and that's, that's just me. I'm not saying that's that's a universal truth. It just seems to me like 
I would be very upset if there was like so. You know, I, I don't think this is a surprise to either of you, but you know, the Green Lantern is my favorite character in comics, and so if there was a show that was called like Coast City, and Hal Jordan was just like some schmuck in the background, I'd be like, where the fuck's Green Lantern? Where the fuck's Green Lantern? And I just I keep asking that question until he showed well, who, up. And wait, well, who would be Green Lantern? If would it's somebody Coast else, City. be Green Lantern. I'm sorry. Would someone else be Green Lantern, or would it just be Hal Jordan? It would be Hal Jordan, a, but you'd like you'd be a schmutz. Yeah, you would somehow meet like Thal Sinestro, you know, years before he gets the ring. I and... would watch that. <laughs> uh, see, I, I think I would get frustrated with it and, and turn it off. But that's but again, like I, I I'm you should sure... do uh, like if uh, it was just Gotham in space. Yeah. Just if it, it was just up. Sinestro coming and like hanging out on Earth before everything else happened, I'd watch that. I picture like him and Abin Sir like slumming it coming to Earth. Oh man, can we? <laughs> they're like pretending they're pitch. humans. Yeah, exactly. They're <laughs> solving Earth crimes. I feel like they're talking like the like um, Vincent D'Onofrio in Men in Black. Like, give me your sugar water, and just you know, <laughs> putting on this like ridiculous American accent while trying to do stuff in Coast City. <laughs> All right, you might have oh, sold me man. this idea, <laughs> Zach. Maybe we are doing this show now. I, I, you know, I, I like what you're saying, man, and because I, I think that like just seeing the show in my periphery and kind of getting that vibe from it has sort of like kept my interest in it a little bit, or like kept that spark of like, oh, maybe one day I'm going to watch this, just because it does seem like something way crazy different, and you know, if from like day one, um, I thought, you know, if DC ever or the if the powers that be ever do decide that like all of these disparate um DC television properties could exist under like one banner I'd love to see like an Arrow Gotham crossover because I think that would be like really interesting to see like just you know like Gordon this Gordon and this Arrow interacting in a world where like Batman is a 12 year old and, you know, it's just, like, so weird and different and would never happen anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, um, to, to Brian's point, like, I'm really not that big of a Batman fan. So a Batman show without Batman is, like, nothing to me. Um, it's as good as anything else. Um, but, you know, I, I just, I do think that Gotham's, Gotham only works because, like, yes, they're sort of acknowledging that Batman is here. They have Bruce Wayne. Um, they've certainly teed it up so that he can learn how to be Batman and Lucius Fox is there and the secret basement is there. All these things are there for him to be Batman, but everybody else kind of exists in this different kind of a vortex, uh, where the, the main thing that's pulling together all these characters is not that some guy has dressed up as a, uh, you know, a bat to be a vigilante, but rather that like this is the city that they live in, and these are the things that happen there, and you know it's it's more about Jim Gordon, um, and uh, my favorite Batman book uh, before Grant Morrison, I guess, was Gotham Central. Um, Gotham Central is amazing. It is uh, Batman. It's a Batman book where Batman doesn't matter. He's in the background. He shows up every now and then. It's more about how the GCPD deals with everything in in that crazy world. Granted, Batman actually exists in that that book, so that 
you know, the logic of why the villains are there is, is all kind of like in line with typical DC stuff. But I don't know. There's something more interesting to me about seeing, um, you know, Bullock and Gordon kind of dealing with these um, prototype characters uh, and archetypes than just having a guy with a, you know, a bat cowl on, you know, run around punching them. Because we've seen that so much um, that now seeing these like spins on things, whether it's early Scarecrow, Joker, Riddler, Two-Face, uh, whomever. It's just kind of neat to have that like alternate take where, well, what if the cops did have to deal with the Joker? You know, what would that actually be like if Batman couldn't save them? That's fair. Um, in terms of stuff for this season, we can't talk too much about Legends of Tomorrow because we don't really know what that's going to look like yet. You know, we know the characters involved, and we know a little bit of sort of the overall plot. But I think it's more interesting for us to talk about Supergirl for a minute. Um, I have not watched the Supergirl pilot. Matt, have you watched it yet? Heck yes, I have. And Zach, have you watched it? I haven't. Um, without spoiling it, Matt, are we in for a treat? I think that if you enjoy programs like The Flash... It is very easy for you to enjoy a program like Supergirl. Good. That's what I was hoping to hear. Um, do you guys think that it's going to be weird for a show to have to so closely mention Superman but never actually show him? It'll be like Smallville. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't we talk about this earlier? <laughs> but but this doesn't even, like, at least there you showed, uh, you showed Clark Kent a lot. Um, I think it'll be weird, but I do, I mean, I think it'll maybe kind of be like Gotham Central, where, like, Batman is a thing, but you don't really see him that much. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, not to. I'm not. I promise not to spoil anything from the pilot, but it's it is that kind of idea. Like Superman is there. Um, they're not afraid to like acknowledge that he is a character that exists in this universe. Um, it's just that this isn't the Superman show. Uh, maybe right. he'll show up at some point uh, if they decide that they want to put an actor, another actor, in the uh, cape and cowl, uh, or not cowl, the the cape and tights, um, the, the cape and spit curl. Yeah. Cape and Spit Girl. Um, it, it certainly like they could they could bring in Superman if they wanted to is the point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not it's not about Superman. It's about Supergirl. I think the biggest thing that they run the risk of right now is the same thing that another program from the distinguished competition to DC had with a female lead, where it's like, hey, here's this awesome female lead that you're all going to love and everybody finds her inspiring and the actress that plays her is, is inspiring and everybody loves her, but we're going to spend all this time, you know, talking about how she's not the male character. And that's the biggest issue that I think Supergirl can run into for that's very fair. obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I feel like for the average, like, all right, so the person I always gauge this stuff off of is my wife. Because my wife is not a, a big comics reader, and she certainly does not care about any of the fanboy shit that I care about. Like, you know, she would never get mad watching something for a, a poor interpretation or whatever. But I think for people like her, 
they just think of Supergirl as they know that there's a relationship to Superman somewhere. And so the pilot in the first few episodes have to build up what that relationship is and show them why she's a character worth caring about outside of just being Superman's cousin. So I hope that once they get past the first couple episodes, that will diminish in importance. Yeah, and I I certainly agree with that. Um, I think that the the biggest and the the, the best thing that the Supergirl show could do is, um, you know, you can certainly start in it uh, with your pilot and be like, I'm Supergirl and I am related to Superman. And then that's it. Like, just leave it at that. <laughs> like, we kind of get it. All right. You both wear the S um, and are fond of the colors blue and red. Um, you know, you're both from planet Krypton. Like, you don't need a lot more than that. Um, I think if uh, the, the it, what Supergirl should do, and it'll be up to you to decide if it does it or does it well, is really push past that to the point where the character is like the the character doesn't feel like they're defined by their relationship with, uh, or Supergirl just feels like she is not defined by her relationship to Superman because I think that's the main thing that you have the the main problem that you have with shows like this is uh, in any kind of legacy situation it's always like well am I as good as the more famous version of me um, and that's always such a huge arc that they have to get over and it's like 20 episodes or the whole first season before they realize yes you actually are good on your own and you don't need to be defined by this other you know character even in comics that does it for like four trades worth or whatever um, Supergirl should just get to the point a lot faster if they're going to do do that um, Zach do you have any particular hopes for the show or anything you're you're you know, excited to see on screen, anything like that? Um, you know, I don't know. Um, it does seem a lot like Flash, um, just in, like, how far they're willing to go based on, like, early casting news and the kind of characters that they're going to have in it. The only thing that I'm, like, kind of bummed about, and maybe this is, like, looking at it the wrong way, but... It like theoretically, like every cool character that they put on this show, like every cool DC character, is a character that won't be showing up in Arrow and Flash in that world. And like, since that's the one I'm already kind of attached to, that kind of bums me out. Like, you know, Red Tornado is going to be in Supergirl, so he's probably not going to be in the the CW verse, right? And like on the surface, that kind of bumps me out a little bit. Yeah, I understand that. I, I you know, I, I think that the the Arrow producers and the Flash, you know, the the CW contingent has been very quick to say, like, hey, we would love to do a crossover, but it doesn't seem like it's likely. Right. And I right. think that the um, the CBS folks have been more saying, well, we'll kind of cross that bridge when we get to it down the road. Um, but I think you're more likely to see Red Tornado pop up in Arrow than have Supergirl show up on Arrow or Arrow show up on Supergirl. Mm-hmm. You know, I think yeah, you, you know. I, I think you might see those peripheral characters cross over more. Which would be which would be really cool. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying that all these shows have to cross over. I think we're kind of like trained to expect that in like a post Marvel cinematic world, you know? Um yeah. but it doesn't necessarily have to. And in some ways I think you know, it might help Supergirl um, kind of, you know, stand out a little bit 
from the fact that it's not connected to the other two, at least initially, you know? Mm -hmm. One thing I'll note is even if they are on different networks and um, have shown no uh, particular plans of major crossovers, it is the one guy behind all these shows. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So even if he's saying like, okay, I've got Arrow and the Flash and Legends of Tomorrow over here and Supergirl over here, um, he's still, it's still that kind of like one guy who's saying, mm-hmm. or who's, who's really shepherding like who's going where. And the CW um, is in part owned by CBS. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a friend of mine works for CBS and actually does most of his work on the CW side. So, okay. yeah. Yeah, because actually, like, a lot of the early buzz surrounding that was, like, noting the connections and assuming that there was going to be some interconnectedness. And then when that kind of got kiboshed, I think, there, you know. I also think that, that there's there's probably less harm in saying we may not cross over than saying we're definitely going to cross over and then it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'd much rather them wait um, for, you know, a, a point where it makes sense or like they put some thought into it rather than just, yeah, you know, just doing it because. I also think it could be very clever and an easy way to actually avoid the crossover if they decide that Supergirl is on an alternate Earth. Oh, like right. if She's on Earth 2 or Earth 3, whatever the case may be. Like, you know, it wouldn't be Earth 3, but you know what I'm saying. You know, if she was on a different Earth, that would lead to a, an opportunity for crossover, but it wouldn't be as easy as the Flash running to Metropolis mm-hmm. or, or vice versa, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And another thing that's kind of, like, neat to note is that... Um, in Supergirl, you know, Superman is, and all that has already existed. Whereas mm-hmm. in the CW verse, while they are very like always heavily implying that there's other stuff going on, you would think that if there's like all these metahumans in one city, you would have heard about a alien or whatever in another city at some point. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. you mention that, and that's actually a really good way to pivot the conversation slightly here. I just last week binge watched Vixen. And oh, uh, I haven't watched that yet. When I say binge watch, I mean spent thirty three minutes or so watching it because it's it's six five minute episodes, more or less, and that's the whole first season of Vixen. And to me, the most notable part of it is that and both um, Stephen Amell and Grant Gustin do the voices of Arrow and the Flash in the show. And at one point, they're talking and they say that. Uh, Mari McCabe is the first metahuman outside of Central City. And they actually define... <laughs> they, they don't quite say, like, Webster's Dictionary defines metahuman as... But they say that, like, metahumans are people who were affected by the particle accelerator malfunctioning. Like, that is their definition right now of metahuman. Which I feel is going to be blown out of the water soon. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting that they define it so specifically. Mm-hmm. Um... And so I, I think that at least in the Arrowverse right now, the only metahumans that they account for are people affected by the particle accelerator. And the reason why Mari is not part of that is she, her power comes from a, 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 a talisman or a, um, a uh, 
I keep wanting to say totem, but that's not the right word. Um, but, you know, from the necklace that she wears around her neck. And so it kind of introduces magic into this show. So she's not, they kind of determine she's not a metahuman, but she does have this sort of connection to magic. And that opens up a whole other area of the show without... Shazam. Well, you That's... said it, you said it, pal. <laughs> um, I, I was even thinking like Zatanna is probably a pretty easy... Well, yeah, they've already, they've done her before, you know, on um, Smallville. Right, right, yeah. So you have the template. Yeah. And um, then especially with, like, Constantine and yes. stuff coming in, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And have, having Constantine and Arrow this year also, you know, firmly establishes magic as part of as part of this world. Um, Isn't there rumors of Zatanna being in Season 4 of Arrow as well? Uh, maybe. I'm not sure. I, hope I thought so. I, remember, I remember that, or hearing that earlier this year. Mm-hmm. That'd be, um, be good by me. Um, it was interesting though. The, the I, I'm not, I gotta pull up the name here. One second. The actress that they cast for to, to do the voice of Vixen is um, you could definitely see them being able to style her like her look. The actual actress, uh, Megalyn Chuano. Uh, I'm gonna fuck up this name. Achuki uh, Wonke, I guess is how it's pronounced. Um, she, well, you tried. I tried, and I, I, I'm sure it was terrible. But she's her voice acting is very good, and she's an actress who's done action stuff and done TV stuff before. So I could see her possibly being like maybe Legends of Tomorrow season two. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually think that's where Constantine is going to show up as well. I think you're going to see Constantine in the second season of Legends of Tomorrow if if they want to keep him around. Because uh, from what I understand, that show is going to be. Um, each season's going to have a different cast, or at least a partially different cast. So, um, you know, you might see someone like the like the Adam, you know, stay on the team, but have other people come and go. So, I could see this being sort of a repository for characters that they want to bring in for short periods of time, almost like um, I know this is going to break Zach's heart bringing it up. Almost like Justice League United is right now, where you know you get one or two issues of a new of a team and they're gone. Um, and then the book is canceled after only a few issues because life isn't fair. So, um, yeah. Um, but Vixen was interesting. I, 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 if you guys like Arrow and the Flash, it's it's definitely different than that. I would say um, animation wise, it's most similar in look to Young Justice. The mm-hmm. uh, the character, the lead character designer, is the same on both shows. And you know, it's um, it's a little bit clunky at parts, but overall it is enjoyable, and I think it does introduce a couple of cool things to the Arrowverse. Uh, do you guys think that it's we're going to see more of these sort of animated shorts come from the, the Berlanti Productions, or is this going to be kind of a one-and-done thing? Because I, I don't think it was as popular or, or well-received as maybe they thought it would be. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, mean it's I kind of a... hope not, because I forgot about it until you were like, so I watched all of uh, his Vixen Season 1 or whatever it's called, and uh, it's like, oh, hey, yeah, that's a, a thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of a fun way to, like, field test ideas with pretty low risk and low you know, low low cost. You know, because, you know, the, I would be really surprised if we didn't see that actress on the show as Vixen at least once, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, 
I'd be okay with more. You know, I, I, I like. I don't think there's a reason, an argument against it necessarily, other than just maybe they don't want to. And you know, almost like Animal Man, it's a hard character to show the powers of mm-hmm. because, like, yes, she's adopting the strength of a rhino, but like, how do you show that? You know, it's just, it can be it can be a little bit tricky to do to do that. I think animation works better than live action for that yeah. part of the character. Um, but yeah, it's um, if you have a half hour to kill, I definitely think it it is worth you know taking the time and watching. Um, although I don't think it's necessarily going to do much for I don't think it's going to affect the Arrowverse too much right now. Maybe somewhere down the road, but we'll see. Um, do we want to talk about iZombie at all, or we feel like? That's not. That's a Vertigo show. It's not really a DC show. Zach, as the co-host, what do you think? <laughs> I I haven't watched it. I watched like half of the first episode. Matt, you watch it. Give us um, two sentences on iZombie. Um, iZombie wanted to fill the void in my heart left when Veronica Mars. Uh, and Pushing Daisies were removed from TV, period. Um, While I do think that it is a fun and quirky and well-put-together show, I never saw the last two episodes of the season, and I think that sort of sums up uh, my thoughts. Two sentences. (laughs) Fair enough. If I can add a third, like, I always planned to watch those two episodes, and it was always like, oh, well, I could watch these two episodes of iZombie now, I've got some time, and, oh, wait, like, I haven't marathoned all seven seasons of 30 Rock in a while, I guess I'll watch that again. Um, So, and I was super bummed when I was like, oh, shit, like, iZombie's on TV tomorrow, Mm -hmm. and I'm not caught up. Uh, I will catch up at some point, because I think it's it's a a fine show. Mm -hmm. Um, as a big fan of the aforementioned Veronica Mars and Pushing Daisies, I think it kind of uh, attempts to do what those shows did amazingly well, and it doesn't totally fail at it. So. For me, it was just a matter of there's not enough hours in the day. Yeah, you know, same with Constantine. I wanted I watched the first couple. I wanted to watch it, and I just didn't have the time for it. Did you watch that whole series, Matt? I did, and Man, you uh, watch more TV than anybody I know, and you read it, more comics than anybody I know. How how do you function? I don't. <laughs> um, first of all, I have an app on my phone that tells me when all my TV shows are, so that I can watch them or remember to watch them. Um, two, I don't even like uh, the amount of shows that are in that app that are like, by the way, you know, you've missed two or three episodes. I'm like, I know, shut up app. Um, and I, I'm like terribly behind on comics. Um, I think, I think, uh, I used to be really good at keeping on top of with this stuff and I'm not anymore. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm really not. I hate to disappoint you. Um, Um, you watched all of Constantine. You watched almost all of iZombie. You watched all of Arrow. You watched all of The Flash. You watched all of Agent Carter. You watched all of Agents of Shield. Yes, and I've um, I've watched all of Heroes Reborn. <laughs> uh, 
but in, in my defense, all those shows were on like a year ago. Like, I had time then. <laughs> I don't have the time now. I'm, That's where the problem is. I'm, I'm almost done with season one of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So. <laughs> so you're at the part where it finally gets good. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I've got like two episodes left. I'm pretty excited. I, I stopped midway through season two just because I didn't have the time in my like TV week to watch it. Um, this is one of the downfalls of, of having kids, folks. <laughs> you 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 lose your TV time a lot. My wife and I still haven't watched the first episode of The Leftovers, which aired last night, and that was my favorite show of last year. So I'm I'm chomping at the bit to watch that, but yeah, that's okay. We'll talk about that. I'm yeah, sure. I, after I watch it. Well, th- this weekend, Matt, when you're at Chase Salvatore, we'll mm-hmm. uh, we'll talk all about it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, all right, Matt. Anything else you want to add before you? Uh, wander into your beard and fold upon <laughs> yourself <laughs> yeah um the lucifer pilot is boring so oh, okay that's that's the only thing we didn't talk about i, I, like I forgot about that yeah yeah it's super boring and it's nothing like lucifer uh the comic and uh, prepare to be disappointed uh, but I have high hopes for Preacher for some reason. I was going to ask if you had time traveled to watch that yet. <laughs> I have not. Um, I have faith in the cast more than I have faith in the network. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens there. Um, is it? Is it AMC? It is AMC. Okay. It is, and um, there is nothing on AMC I want to watch anymore. Yeah. So, well, I guess... At some point, Better Call Saul will come back yes, on. But I was also, I think, the only person on the planet who wasn't wowed by Better Call Saul Season 1. Um, but, you know, AMC, I constantly give them chances with their new programs. Um, and I, I just don't say, like them. You said there's nothing on AMC to watch right now. Well, they also gave us the best two television shows of the millennium. So, <laughs> Yeah, where um, are they now? They're done. Effectively ended without yeah. without network interference. Yeah, but then look at once AMC kind of got it into their head that they should be a television station. Like, look what they put on: The Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, Talking Dead, <laughs> Comic Book Men, some Western show, Hell on Wheels, Turn, um, Washington's Spies, which apparently had more than one season. I don't know a single person that watched that show and was like, "What about?" You know, I really um, like. Washington Spies. What about... I heard Halt and Catch Fire is pretty good. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask about. I couldn't get into that. I think I watched an episode or two of that. If I lied to you and said it was an old Valiant book that was adapted into a TV show, <laughs> would you then watch it? Uh, uh, no. No, okay. No, I'll wait for the Valiant movie verse. Okay, cool. Which is coming soon, apparently. It's a yeah. thing. Yeah, it's a thing. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, Matt, where can folks find you on Twitter? Uh, if you'd like to hear more from me, I do occasionally pop in at, at Matt is not a robot on Twitter, just not as much as anymore. And when I do say things, they're really stupid and inane more so than ever before. <laughs> uh, Matt also is covering Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is not necessarily a DC show, but it is a very good show. On, yeah, um, I guess uh not wanting to directly mention them because this is the DC3 cast. I was like, oh, I probably shouldn't mention all these Marvel things. But... That's okay. It happens. Um, yeah, we talk about Marvel a lot. Yeah, we do. 
Um, we actually we actually had one episode I think where we actually talked about Marvel more than we did DC. That is true, <laughs> but it was more about kind of comparing and contrasting the way they it, do things. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like, hey guys, Marvel's great. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. We'll be back in just a second. Hey kids, do you like comics? Do you like in-depth interviews with your favorite creators and interesting discussion about the medium? Do you enjoy different accents? Then chances are you're really going to like Orbital in Conversation. It's the podcast of Orbital Comics in Central London, where we bring you the best and the brightest in comics, and we do it all with a bit of fun, a bit of style, and a bit of panache. You can find us here on the Multiversity Comics Network every week. A big thanks to Eddie Argos and Art Brute for the use of their track DC Comics and Chocolate Milkshake as our theme music. Make sure to check out at Eddie Argos on Twitter for all sorts of information about the wonderful musician and raconteur that is Mr. Argos. Alright, we are back. The DC two cast for now, um, just Zach and myself, and we're going to talk about a couple things that are going on in DC Comics right now. Sort of the big news since the last time we recorded was that DC is canceling a number of their books. Um, the original list came out, and it was Doomed, Justice League United, Lobo, Green Lantern, Lost Army, Omega Men, and am I forgetting one? I think that's everything. Oh, um, Sensation Comics is ending. Okay, yeah. And I guess so I, was Batman 66. Yeah, I didn't think about those because they're outside. Yeah. But Batman 66 is getting that uh, crossover with... The Man from Uncle. So, I, yeah, that's almost kind of a continuation. Well, I, I was told that all year long they're going to be doing... Batman 66 one shots in the miniseries. Okay. So the the ongoing is ending, but they're not going to stop doing those characters or mm-hmm. the, those iterations of the characters rather. Okay. Um, but yeah, so uh, th- this kind of came as a shock because uh, DC had originally announced with DCU that all the books were going to get 12 issues. That was going to be the test run of 12 issues. And after 12 issues, if it didn't work out, well, then they were going to move on. Um, since the announcement was made, the Omega Men has been uncancelled and will be allowed to at least get to 12, which to me means get to 12. I can't see it necessarily going on past there. Um, but of the books that are cancelled, Zach, my friend, which ones sting the most? Well, obviously, Justice League United is a pretty big loss. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it makes me wonder what the point was for even bringing it back for these six issues, you know, not, you know, I'm very glad that they did because I've liked what we've gotten, but it seems like such a big high concept to bring it back for just six issues after convergence. Just, I don't really get the, get the logic there. Like, I feel like this, this is like, one hand at DC, not knowing what the other one was doing. Like there's some guy in the corner somewhere who like, okay, this book. And then Dan DiDio found out and was like, no, we got to stop this. <laughs> and that is, that is a very fair assessment of the situation. Uh, I'm actually just looking up the sales for it. Right okay. Now. Um, okay. So 
In August, it sold 24,000 copies, which is just about the cancellation point for DC. Okay. Yeah. Um, it sold less than, just to give you some uh, idea here, it sold less than Sinestro, less than Catwoman, less than Green Lantern Lost Army, less than Earth 2 Society, Gosh. Less than Cyborg. Um, How did it sell less than Earth 2 Society? I have no idea. Um, and, you know, just taking out the DC books for now, you know, and granted, Marvel has a lot of um, Secret Wars books right now, so it's a little mm-hmm. bit hard to look at the Marvel books and compare them, you know. Um, but it sold more than Black Canary. Which is still existing, Martian mm-hmm. Manhunter, which is still existing, uh, sold more than um, Doctor Fate, which is still existing. Um, it sold more than Justice League three thousand one. Sold more than Gotham Academy. Sold more than Midnighter and Bizarro. How is it? How is Justice League three thousand one still around then? That's what it's I want to know. Sold more than oh, Gotham by Midnight. That's the other canceled book. Oh, that that's and I, right. You're and right. I really like that book. I caught up in that book recently. That's I, a goddamn good book. I haven't read past the after Temple Smith left. Oh, pick it up, man. It's really okay. Good. Okay. Yeah, take a look at that. It's definitely worth your time. Um, you know, it's a pretty incredible how little though. I mean, Gotham by Midnight was selling fourteen thousand copies. See, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to pull up the numbers too. I wonder how much. Uh, what was the what were the sales on the last issue before Convergence? I oh, that's a good question. It. Yeah, um, hang on, that would have been March. March, yeah. Let's see. I don't think it's necessarily because of Ben Templesmith leaving. Oh, I meant I meant on um, Justice League United. Oh, okay, that's sorry. It. That's right, because Gotham by Midnight was almost exactly the same. Okay. Um, let's see. Justice League United. I just searched for United. Hang on for me. It sold 31,000. Okay. So it had about a 7,000 issue, 7,000 drop off. Right. I and mean, part of that is Jeff Parker's not the name Jeff Lemire is. Right. Although I think Jeff Parker writes better super, superhero comics. Yeah. Jeff Lemire does. And I think it, you know, it's so weird. I think if anything, that book probably should have gotten a renumber or or something to, I don't, you know, it's just so weird that it, it you know, it came out, I think, a month after all the other books, didn't it? It, it yes, wasn't it in the initial July. wave. It came yeah. out with Cyborg and um, I think there was one more, one more book. I think it was. I think it was maybe just those two. Okay, um, but regardless, you know that's that's a shame. You know, and you know, DC obviously has to make money. Mm-hmm. I'm not foolish enough to think that DC has to be an, an altruistic company. What's crazy to me though is that Batman. Which look, Scott Snyder was the first guest we had on the show. We are fans of Scott Snyder's Batman. That sells 124,000 copies. And yet, DC can't get, you know, it's, um, I mean, the the fact that a Justice League book is selling less than 30,000 copies, 
Makes no sense to me. Yeah. And and I have to put that somewhat on DC's marketing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know where else you put it because, I mean, the talent's there. It's just getting it into, like, the the consciousness of your audience and it's it's obviously not there right i mean you know it, it also bums me out that black canary and martian manhunter and gotham academy and gotham by midnight are all selling so low that yeah. really does bug me you know those are in the bottom black canary was number 101 in august there are a hundred books that sold better than that and like some of them are red hood and arsenal which didn't sell much more but it did or JLA yeah. Gods and Monsters Wonder Woman. Or um, you know, the Star Trek Green Lantern crossover, which is a lot of fun, don't get me wrong. You know, but We Are Robin's only selling twenty six thousand. Right. Um you know, but but again, Earth well, Society is selling more than Robin. You know, I think Robin. we we've all we've seen all of these DCU books kind of performing below expectations. Absolutely, yes. Um, which I think we were all really surprised about considering the the impact we expected the the divergence previews yes, to make yes yes it almost seems like there there's been the opposite effect and i can't pinpoint why i yeah i can't either i you know part of me wonders if it's because of secret wars maybe you yeah, know possibly there you know there's a lot of I feel like maybe people are experimenting with Marvel more than they normally would just because everything's weird and different. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's just really weird. Yeah, you know, I part of me thinks it's just that... And I, I'm going to be very interested to see how all new, all different Marvel does. Although mm-hmm. that's a different beast altogether, too, because they're all number ones. Yeah. So that changes, too. But I, I think maybe we're past the model of releasing everything all together again mm-hmm. like we need to start spreading this stuff out yeah i know for me personally it's hard to come up with enough money to buy all the comics i want to buy mm-hmm. but especially oh, for sure but especially when they're all coming out with number ones at the same time mm-hmm. you know i can usually find an extra three bucks a week to try something new yeah. Usually. I can't like this week, if you look at Marvel's release schedule for this week, it's insane. And this is just week one of the all new, all it's... different line. Okay. So I'm I know where the DC three cast, but hang on. This week we have the all new all different point one. We have Amazing Spider Man one, Avengers Zero, Contest of Champions one. Doctor Strange 1, uh, Invincible Iron Man number 1, um, Secret Wars number 6, I guess those are the big ones, and Star Wars number 10. But like that's, I definitely want to check out three of those number ones, but I don't know if I'll have enough in my wallet to pick up all three. Yeah, I mean you definitely see some big sales cannibalization. And and I think it's compounded even more by the fact that Secret Wars is still going on. Well, yeah, it's and not you have, supposed and, to be. <laughs> and it's not supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, so that's going to be... I, I am very interested to see how that turns out. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe, you know, I think the New 52 was a thing 
that maybe we'll, we won't see, I don't think we're going to see that kind of thing happen again for a very long time, just because at, at the time it was like really unique and special just in that not, no one had, I don't think anyone had done a relaunch on that scale before. No, definitely not. And we've seen both Marvel and DC try to replicate that to varying degrees since then. And I think we're seeing diminishing returns on that. I think how this all new, all different Marvel now turns out will be like a big indicator on like, if that is finally over and maybe we'll get back to kind of the more traditional uh, trickle out of new books that, you know, we had in like the, you know, mid ago. Yeah. 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 So I don't know, but obviously this didn't work. Yeah. You know, and, and I wonder if, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Former editor on the site, David Harper and I used to talk all the time. David, uh, despite having a podcast always kind of felt like we shouldn't put a lot of energy behind our podcasts. And his reason was that, look, even the most successful podcast episode gets a 10th of the clicks that a article gets. My point was always like, but what if the podcasts are really good? He's like, well, they might be, but it doesn't matter if only one tenth of the people are clicking on it. And I feel like that's sort of the way that the DCU thing went. I would say unequivocally, the DCU books almost to a T are better than the books they replaced. Oh, definitely. And, but does it matter if no one's reading them? Well, you know, I wonder, I still really definitely, if the DCU has been successful in one way, it's been in repairing DC's image. Yes. Dress both with fans you know, I, the hardcore comic community and with creators. Yes. Um, and if they can twist that or work that goodwill into the next, whatever the next big thing is, I would call DCU a success. If the next major rebranding or relaunch or whatever they do, they're able to bring in even more um you know, kind of image-esque creators, then I think that's a success. Because I think Marvel is moving away from that right now. Yes, I agree with that. And so, you know, it kind of just, they're at a pivot point right now. And how they handle that, I think, will determine how much of a success or a failure DCU was. All right, I have a little game I want to play with you here, Zach. Okay. I Close out if you have... The Comic Con numbers open. Okay. They're gone. Name the top 10 DC books for August. Okay. Uh, Batman. Yep. And I know that that is, I do know because I was just looking at it, that's the only one that's over 100,000. Yes. Which is really sad. It is. Um, Batman, Justice League, yep. Justice League, America's in there. Sadly, yes. Sure. Um, and then after that, probably. Um, You know, after that, it gets really hard. Um, Superman? Not, it is in there, but it's not It's not okay. in that order. But yeah, that's in there. Um, gosh. 
Grayson? Nope, that's in the 40s. Man. If not lower. Okay, are we, wait, are we saying the top 10 DC books or the DC books that are in the top 10? No, the top 10 DC books. Top 10 DC books, okay. Yeah, Grayson is, Grayson came in, it was number 48. Okay. But the top 10 DC books, uh, they end at number 36. So there's 10 okay. DC books in the top 36. And so I've listed four of them? Yes. Oh, Harley Quinn, duh, that's... Yep, that's one. And then probably the miniseries, too? No. No? Okay. Okay, so that's five. Um, There's one, I think if I gave you 25 guesses, you wouldn't get. <laughs> Red Hood? <laughs> no, that, that's that's higher than it should be, but it's it's not. Uh, Teen Titans? Nope. Wonder Woman? Nope. Aquaman? Nope. Green Lantern? Yes, that's six. Okay. Um, Flash? Nope. Green Arrow? Nope. Man. Uh, There's one you're going to kick yourself for. I'll give uh, you that. Two maybe you kick yourself for. Action comics? Yep. Okay. I think along those lines. So that's seven? Yep. Uh, Superman Wonder Woman? Nope. Batman Superman? Yep. Eight? So that's eight. There's one more kind of obvious one you're forgetting. Think along the action comics line. Oh, Detective Comics? Correct. The tenth one, I... And the tenth one, when I'm saying the tenth one, it's actually the fifth best-selling DC book for August. Really? Okay, give me... Just give me one second. I don't want to take too long, but... Um... Gosh, I don't know. Um, is it, can you, is it a DCU book or an older book? It is not a DCU book, but it's not an older book either. Uh, man, I don't know. You ready? Yeah. DC Comics Bombshells. Oh, see, I, I never think outside of that, outside of the, the, the core line, but that's awesome that that book is 59,253. That's awesome. Was that the first issue? That the was first the first print issue? issue, yeah. Man, you so, know, that's awesome. Because that might I, drop considerably this month. We'll see. It, it might. But that's awesome, you know? I think I've only read, I think, like the first, maybe the first issue's worth of digital chapters so far. Okay. Um, but, I mean, that's a cool book. And there's no reason that that book shouldn't, there's no reason a book like that shouldn't exist in, like, the core DC title right you know realm as like you know just like an alt universe book you know if you if you have an earth Two society and a batman beyond book there's no reason a book like that and a telos book and a telos book and yeah and a and a the the superman you know that is the kind of book that obviously like people are interested in and even like on the periphery, it does that well. Imagine how it would do if it was like marketed as a core DCU book. Well, here's my question, and this is the reason I brought this up. I think this is an interesting discussion. Maybe, would it matter if it was a core maybe, DCU? Book? And you know, maybe it wouldn't because I just got done saying not ten minutes ago that like that. Well, we were talking about how their marketing doesn't appear to be helping, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe this is proof that the digital first model is the future of 
of comics, you know. Well, I'll I'll tell you this. Let me look this up. I just saw it. Flash season zero sells under ten thousand copies a month. Sensation Comics, which just got canceled, sells just about ten thousand copies a month. But if you add that to first of all, I don't know what digital sales are like because they mm-hmm. don't. No one releases those numbers, so it's very very hard for us to figure out what that really means. But I would think that between digital sales and then the print version of digital sales, that those books have to be making a pretty decent profit. Mm-hmm. I would think that. And I, you know, we talked about this one other time on the podcast, at least if not two other times in the podcast, where I feel like the reason that DC's digital line has been so successful is they're targeting people who are fans of the characters but aren't necessarily fans of comics. And that's bombshells to a T, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You know, and it also kind of reminds me of how I know, I don't know if this is still the case, but there for a while, Marvel was talking about how Miss Marvel sold better digitally than it did in print. Yes. And, you know, I wonder if that's the case with this book, which if that is the case, then that's ex- that's super impressive that a book that's a digital first book could go on to sell 60,000 print copies. Right. After selling, you know, who knows how many digital copies. Yeah. I actually wonder if maybe because DC also did all of the divergence things as digital previews. I mean, they were in the in the backs of the books too, but mm-hmm. I think most people encountered those Especially because they were having in convergence titles. So if oh, yeah. you weren't following it the way we were following it, I don't know if you were reading all those books. Right. You know, um, so I wonder if DCU sales were considerably better digitally, digitally than not. Man, you know, that's the I think that's the downside with not seeing the digital numbers. Because, you know, we this whole time come at the the physical numbers and say, Man, these are low, these are low. What what's going on, and that there's a very real possibility that yeah, the digital side's not, you know, maybe it's doing better than it was pre-convergence. Right. Do, is there any? You know, you said that that's the downside of not having the digital numbers. Is there an upside to not having the digital numbers? I guess not. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think it helps in any way. Um. It certainly just leads to like the kind of discussions that we had earlier about, oh, these numbers don't look good. Right. And can, you know, I'm sure when they, when DC looks at canceling a title, they obviously know how it's selling digitally. And I'm sure that plays a factor into it. Right, right. Omega Men was the lowest selling book at DC, I, I believe. Uh, I, Is that correct? I want to say Prez was lower. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Prez which Prez, was... which was the first book to get its its um, run cut. Although they're claiming it's going to be two six issue miniseries. Oh, they are. Okay. Yes. Um, however, much like All Star Batman and Robin, I don't know if we're ever going to see the completed Prez story. Right. You know, Omega Man was selling better than All Star Section Eight, which was a miniseries selling better than doomed which is also canceled selling better than lobo which is also canceled um 
Empress, which was cut okay. as well. So that seems actually about in line. Right. I guess those were. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. What I'm always curious about is like, all right, I'm looking at number 190 on the sales list was Odyssey, the Matt Fraction image book. Mm-hmm. Matt Fraction's a huge name in comics. And he's only selling, you know, just shy of 10,000 copies of his, of one of his books right now. Now, Fraction's cachet in 2015 is certainly less than it was in 2013. Mm-hmm. Right? His, um, he's just not the same, at the same level he was. Do you think, though, that DC, that it's that much more expensive for DC to produce books? And I know it is because they have to pay editors and there's this giant corporate infrastructure that Image doesn't have. You know, Fraction and, you know, Christian Ward and whoever else is on their team, they work in their own homes at their own pace and Image doesn't do too much. But are DC and Marvel just assuming that, it ha- that they have to be more profitable than they really are? I don't know. Um, you know, but I wonder how much... I wonder how much like the their parent companies play into that. Like I wonder how much do people at Warner Brothers and how much do people at Disney care how you know how much micromanaging is going on. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too. Comics have a have an advertising problem, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at a DC comic month in and month out, more or less you're seeing ads for other DC comics. And then you're seeing a handful of ads, usually for comic-specific interests. Um, DCBS, you'll see a lot of times. Like, in all the issues this week, there's a nice big Flash uh, TV show advertisement in there. So, like, you know, I was saying before to myself, like, well, the Flash doesn't bring in that much money for them. But the advertising is quite expensive to advertise in a primetime show. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that DC and Marvel can do to up the advertising? Because if the advertising dollars are there, the sales don't have to be there as much. Yeah. But I don't know if such a thing exists. Yeah, I don't know. I'm very interested to see the all-new, all-different Marvel sales. And I'm very interested to see the sales of a book like a book I'm excited about, and I I think you're probably excited about it too, although not as much as I am, is Titans Hunt. You know, um, that's a book that involves the classic Teen Titans. It's written by Dan Abnett, a a creator I like. I I will be surprised. Uh, Go ahead and say I don't think that book gets six issues. I would be surprised if the first issue sold. Uh, I'd be super surprised if it sold more than 40. Oh, I'd, be, I'd be pretty surprised if it sold more than 30. I think 30 is, is the cap on it. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, just, okay, the own, the books that sold around 30 for DC, Green Arrow, Starfire, Secret Six, and Aquaman, Batman Beyond, 
and Batgirl. Yeah, DC's midline is much weaker than it was. Yes, you know, a year or two ago, they're they're like solo non-Trinity Justice League books are, you know, twenty ten to twenty thousand lower than they were. Yeah. Um and I you know, I think I kind of talked about it last time. They I I don't necessarily think that they're putting the proper push behind those kinds of books. You know, mm-hmm. they're not putting the I, I don't know. They're not putting the Snyders or the the Johns or the those those kinds of names on those books. Um, and fair, I don't think they necessarily need to all the time. But if if they're not going to do that, then they need to build up the creative that they have on there, you know, and and put them out there in in interesting ways to get people interested. What I was going to say, though, was when was the last time that DC created a new Scott Snyder? Uh, Scott Snyder. No, yeah, I don't. I really yeah, think that, you know, you know I, I think Tom King has potential. Tom King is, I think, the he is like DC's ace in the hole right now. And I know he's working at Marvel, too. Yeah. But he has kind of like come out of nowhere almost and is kind of everything he's touching turns to critical gold. I mean, he's the lead writer on Robin War. Yeah. He is doing Grayson and the Omega Men, and he has a new Vertical book coming out. Mm-hmm. So he's the only guy that you can see. Like, I think Steve Orlando is doing great stuff on Midnighter. And I think yes. Steve Orlando's pu- uh, um, public persona has risen. Like, people know him more now than they did six months ago. And that's great. Definitely. But I think Tom King is the only person I see tangible evidence of DC making into a star uh-huh. right now. Yeah. You know, Cullen Bunn is writing a bunch of books, but none of them are particularly doing all that well. No, I know. And... Um, you know there are guys like that out there. Uh-huh. You know, Brian Hitch is writing and drawing Just League of America. It's selling almost 70,000 copies in its third issue. You know, that's crazy to me. I know that you might argue that Palmiati and Connor are breakout stars of DC, but they were they were successful long before. Exactly. Um, you know, I I almost kind of see Bun in the same position that Charles Soule was in yep. a couple of years ago, but I just can't like Bun is already more established than Soule was at yes. that point in his career, and I don't see his stock rising. No, and like Greg Pak was already. Yeah, somebody when he came to DC, Robert right. Venditti. Robert Venditti has has risen with Green Lantern, but he, it's all he's doing. He's, yeah. he's doing the Flash too, I guess. Um, but but he's also he has so much invested in like Valiant, Valiant yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm just going through the DC books here, and you know, I I I can't think of another. You know, I think that the Batgirl team has been huge, but Batgirl only sold 32,000 copies in April. Mm-hmm. Or in August, rather. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. Batgirl I, that's... is the reason the DCU happened. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I... And yet, Batgirl only sold... I, Batgirl only sold 76 more copies than Giant Size Little Marvel number three. Yeah. <laughs> 
it only it sold less than a thousand copies less, more rather, than Inhumans: Adelan Rising. It's it's weird, and you know I I got I look at something like that, and I've got to assume that that book is doing better digitally because that is that's the flagship book, yeah, of of DCU. You know, yeah. There there's no other way around it. Absolutely. And, you know that book has to have a it has a readership you know yeah and the numbers just don't reflect that and i think i don't know i don't want to get like too tied up in the numbers but i'm just not, like for so long that's what's made the comic industry go round is is the numbers mm-hmm. and i don't know and, you know, I think that, you know, we spent the first half of the show talking about DC TV. And I do think you see, I don't think The Flash would be selling 40,000 copies right now if it wasn't for the show The Flash. Mm-hmm. I don't think Green Arrow would be selling, um, what did it sell last month? 30,000 copies, almost, to, almost exactly on the nose, if it wasn't for Arrow right now. But Marvel just teased today Civil War 2. that's going to come out probably relatively close to the time that the Captain America Civil War movie comes out yeah that's going to be a huge huge hit yeah it's going to you know yeah it will and it it will like Secret Wars was a huge hit Secret Wars number 5 sold 204,000 copies last that's insane that's insane and look, Hickman is maybe my favorite writer working in comics. If anybody's yeah. going to do a huge story, I'm glad it's Jonathan Hickman. But Marvel isn't even hiding the fact that it's run out of ideas anymore. Yeah. yeah and look, this is this is not a slam on this book because this book is written by somebody I legitimately call my friend. It's crazy to me that X-Men 92 sells 50,000 copies. To me, that says that Marvel's marketing is just doing it better than DC's marketing is. Mm-hmm. X-Men 92 is a digital first book that in the title tells you it takes place 20 years ago. <laughs> which, you know, that, I mean, you could argue that plays on nostalgia, which is like a huge part of comics. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but... Yes, you're I mean, right. You, you don't see Batman number... 66 pulling those kinds no. of numbers. A Force number three sold 49,000 copies. Can you name three people reading A Force? Uh, well, you know, I no, I mean, I I can't personally. You know, my my, but my pool of you know comic reading, the sample size is pretty low. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that I see a lot are the, the commenters on Multiversity talking about, like, people always get mad when we don't put The Walking Dead in our comics should be cheap. Because people are like, you know, what, you don't like The Walking Dead anymore? And I'm sure plenty of the staffers still read The Walking Dead, but we don't feel like we have to shine a light on The Walking Dead because everyone knows what that book is already, right? Yeah. But there are certain books that you see people, like get 
like the Omega Man, people had a had a real problem when that wasn't getting the critical accolades it deserved or the commercial accolades it deserved. Mm-hmm. I never hear anybody being like A Force is so much better than we thought it would be. Yeah, like, I never hear about that book. You know, um, I don't know. Part of me, but feels... you know that that book got unveiled on the View. That is so. true. That is true. But but number one came out months ago. Yeah, you know. Uh, you know, part of me thinks that maybe the future of comics is, you know, only publishing 10 or 12 books in print every month. That's like, that's, those are fighting words, Brian. (laughs) I'm not saying I think it's a good idea, but I'm not, no, I, you know, I, I definitely think we're going to have to see a change because the old business model just doesn't stack up anymore. There's like too many variables in there now, you know, too many different modes of delivery. You've got digital, you've got loot crate, you've Uh got, it just doesn't work the way it did 10 years ago. And, you know, I I also think losing the newsstand presence Uh is a bigger, I feel like no one ever talks about that. Yeah. And I feel like that's a bigger deal than probably it's been made out to be. Maybe it is. Yeah. Well, I did those numbers. Factor into Diamond? I don't know how that worked. I don't know, but I mean, for me personally, the first five or ten comics I ever bought came from a newsstand. Yeah. And then I found a comic book store after that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you're just talking about, like, in terms of just, like, entrance into the industry. Yeah, you know, okay. we talked last time about Teen Titans Go a little bit. And yeah. And my daughter is now obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she has this, like, little doll that she had as a baby that now she calls Raven. Because it vaguely looks like Raven from Teen Titans Go. And I feel like, you know, unless I showed her that show and I stoked that fire in her, I don't know when the next natural occurrence for her to find a comic character would be. Yeah. I think it's just harder for kids nowadays to be exposed to it. And to be fair, the books aren't for kids anymore. Yeah. Although I don't think when I was reading comics as a kid, they were necessarily for kids either. Yeah, but, but they were less overtly not for kids. I mean, now it's—I I feel like it's kind of a cop out, but now it's you know the movies. Yeah, you know. Yeah, which I feel like that's just like a cyclical conversation that you you get on that, and there's just so much, you know, we there's really like no telling how the movies affect like comics, if at all, you know, it, it's just so apples and oranges kind of. The only Uh, things I would say, I would say the only way to really tell that is to see just how much more popular movies are than comics. Like for instance, in the top 10, no, it's the top 12 comics for August. Star Wars, Darth Vader, and two issues of Star Wars Lando. All yeah. in the top 12. Right. That is, the Star Wars books just have such a higher profile than other things well, do. Well, I mean, I think that's just a testament both to, well, like, you know, A, Star Wars is extremely hot right now, like, just with the, the new film and everything. But Marvel did a fantastic job repositioning star wars uh that was i think a case of just marketing done right a you had like this grand rollout of the these are the new 
this is the new Star Wars canon. Mm-hmm. This is Star Wars returning home. This is, you know, you have a book that's just called Star Wars, which, you know, Dark Horse did like two years ago. Right, at the very end of their license. It was the exact same book. Yes, it was. The exact same book. And here this one is, I guarantee, selling at least five to six times more than that book did. The highest Dark Horse book on the list is Fight Club 2, which sold 40,000 copies. Like, the, I think the Star Wars comics are maybe, like, one of the biggest success stories in comics this year. Oh, absolutely. Like, and I think that's awesome. You know, those are some of, like, as far as the output at Marvel right now, those are, like, some of the things I'm most excited for. A, because I, like, can't get enough of Star Wars right now, but also because they're putting, like, some of their top talent on those books. And they're doing interesting things with them. And they're, like, cycling through. I, You know, I'm really, I think it's really intriguing how they have this model of, like, two or three core books and then a cycling series of minis. Of minis and one-shots, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I think I think that's really interesting. But, you know, also just Secret Wars is doing better than I think anyone could have imagined. And I don't really under I don't really understand that because Avengers wasn't pulling these kinds of numbers, you know, before Secret Wars. Right. No one was no one was reading Avengers and New Avengers. I, I say no one, but relatively, you know. Yeah. And now everyone's reading Secret Wars. Well, part of that and, is, is the nostalgia thing. I think it, you have to look at it that way. I guess so, but, but I mean, okay. But here's here's a conversation. Okay, so Convergence Zero. And Convergence number one sold between one hundred and thirty-two and one hundred and forty-three thousand. So certainly less than Secret Wars, but not crazy less than Secret Wars. They were selling Secret Wars number one sold five hundred thousand. That's true. Wasn't that a loot crate situation though? I don't know because it's not marked on here. There's like a little symbol Mm -hmm. that's supposed to denote that, and it doesn't have that. Okay, well that's different then. Um. But I was going to say, like, I'm trying to find the okay. Convergence Harley Quinn is the first Convergence title to pop up that wasn't uh, the Convergence main book, and that's almost seventy thousand. Yeah, these are all number ones, though. I'm looking at. I let me look at the number twos because that's probably a different story too. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I feel like it has to be because like the second most second biggest selling book in May is Bravest Warriors, from which was Boom. a which was a loot crate. That has to be a loot crate, yeah. Yeah, because it's got that little got that little cross beside it. Yeah, um, but yeah, see, <sighs> Convergence Harley Quinn dropped eight thousand in the first in the month. Batman Shadow of the Bat dropped 10,000. But let's look now. What's the highest? I mean, Spider-Man Renew Your Vows sold 90,000 copies this month in August. Yeah, which which Amazing Spider-Man was doing well before yeah. anyway. Slot Spider-Man has been doing really well for a long time. It's Civil War consistent. sold 77,000. Yeah. See, I it's so hard to compare these numbers because from like starting in April when Convergence came out, yeah, 
and secret because these are all books that are finite extremely finite yes and you know are all playing on nostalgia civil war that book is playing on people who love civil war you know yeah. the original one um yeah, so it's the it's all this is such a weird like fluid time in comics right now. And I think it's going to be weird for a while because I still think that the all new all different numbers are going to be more inflated. Oh yeah, definitely. And so yeah. I don't know when we're going to get the next accurate read of all of this. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. It's it's weird. I I mean, I think I think one book we can we can firmly say is going to be a big seller, and we want to talk about it a little bit tonight is Batman and Robin Eternal. Yes, you know, yeah. I, I think that the weekly Bat books, although I, I I do wonder how the second year of weeklies is going to look, because the the bloom is off the rose a little bit here. I think definitely. So that's going to be interesting to see how they sell. Um, but I do think you know having Scott Snyder's name on it, although. Snyder is now listed as the second writer on the book. He got top billing in the Batman Eternal. Here it's um, James uh, Tynion or Tinian the fourth. Yeah, getting top billing. Well, let's let's see. The last issue of Batman Eternal clocked in at about forty five thousand. Okay. It's so number one. It's a number one. You can expect it to maybe get at least like one and a half times that. Yeah, maybe I, twice that. Tony Daniels drawing the first issue. Yeah. Um, you know, these are all things that are probably on its side. Right, right. So say it starts in like the, you know, mid to high 80s, low 90s. Do you have, I can pull it up quickly, what Batman Eternal number one sold? I can find it. That was at March or April of last year? That was, I think it was April. March. Oh, was it? Uh, yeah, yes. So it only, it didn't even top 100. Number one was 96,000. Number two was 76. Number three was 72. Number four was 70. And then it ended, where, where did you say, about in the 40s? 45 about. Okay. So I, I would say 80 is an, is an appropriately... Mm-hmm. Uh, accurate number to start with. Um, are you excited about the series? Yeah, I am only only because of how like just generally happy I am with the bat line as a whole right now. I see this as like even more so than like Batman proper. This is like the the like backbone book. That I that I kind of want right now, you know, it's the that. one yeah. that ties everything together. So it's like I'm liking everything, and this is going to be a book that ties together all the things that I'm already liking. So in theory, it sounds great, and in a way, I'm kind of almost more excited maybe for it than I was for Batman Eternal. Um, well, part of it is that we now know what we can expect from this. Yeah. Like, we know how good Eternal was. Not that it's going to be necessarily Eternal Part 2. No, oh, and it kind, it kind of seems of like it's, it, it... It kind of is, but it almost kind of seems like it's not, too, just based on the little preview that we got. 
Um, you know, it, it seems definitely like its own thing. You know, I think it has a lot of things going for it. I think the fact that it is shorter out of the gate, you know, I think maybe might help the story be a little bit tighter. Mm -hmm. Um, The creative team on it, not that the creative team on the first one wasn't great. It was great, but I feel like this one is even more like impressive just because of the new additions that they brought in. But I feel like it's impressive for super inside baseball comics fans. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, that's all. But like the, if you say like to someone on the street, like, Hey, the guys who wrote hacktivist are joining (laughs) the Batman and Robin eternal team. They're going to say, who, what's that? Or like Ed Brisson's joining. I love Ed Brisson. Yeah. It's a great writer. Well, again, that comes down to, I think who, who you're marketing the book to, you know, obviously like the core fans, that's how you get them. I think. It's and it's the people who don't recognize those names that you have to get their attention in other ways by saying like this is a you know the ultimate Batman and Robin story or you know I don't know I'm not I should maybe know more about marketing than I do since I'm I'm taking a marketing class right now. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know how you necessarily like tackle. And you know what? Maybe it's not that bad that I don't know because it seems like the people who are like in charge of that don't really know either. (laughs) And I don't say I say that with like, you know, tongue in cheek, a little bit of jest because, you know, like I don't mean to like rag on people who are doing their jobs, but. You know, like, it's just a weird time for comics. Yeah. Um, One of the things that I do every week is I run the Multiversity Review Draft. So basically, for those who aren't Multiversity writers listening, we have... um, we have an email thread that starts up, and we let people know, okay, guys, here's the order of drafting books this week. And I... Ever since I took it over last year, I always put in there 10 or so titles to just spark your your interest. Say, hey, here are some of the books coming out this week. Batman and Robin Eternal number one. Amazing Spider-Man number one. Shattered Empire number two. Whatever the case may be. And I'm trying to get away from just putting number ones in there. Because as an industry, every week there's 10 new number ones. Mm-hmm. At least 10 number ones. But maybe we need to be focusing more on number eights. Yeah. You know? Uh, well, I think it's finally coming back to, like, maybe bite image a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just in that, I you know, I think the bubble has burst a little bit. And each new number one doesn't mean as much. And maybe they should have spent a little bit more time supporting the books that they had. Right. You know, because, I mean, still books like, books like Saga... And sex criminals and wicked and divine are going to continue to do well based on the fan base and the creators behind them. But, you know, where, you know, even like great books that I love, like Manhattan Projects or Morning Glories or things like that, like, who, you know, who's really talking about those books right now? You've got like the core dedicated fan base that already liked them. But I wonder if that's, you know, again, 
like does Manhattan Projects when it came out sold a ton of copies. Yeah, it has slowed down into a a, a lower level book. Right, but, but have the creators made enough money and built the audience to the fact where if X amount of people buy it a month, that's that's great for them. Probably, and so maybe DC and Marvel just need to adopt that type of attitude more. Maybe, but they also don't. They have a, again, they have much higher overhead, and they have corporate overlords. Over well, and shoulders. I think it's also maybe like yeah, it's like a, it's almost I think a perception thing too. You know what a a DC book that sells twenty thousand does not mean the same thing as an image book that sells twenty thousand. That's true. Yeah, for better know. for better or worse. Yeah, yeah. For that's a that's a that's a good place to I think wrap up that part of the discussion. Yeah. Um, just one more word of Batman Robin Eternal. We're going to be covering this every week. Uh, last year we did um, an article each week about each of the uh, weekly books. We're not going to be doing that. Uh, we are going to be doing a podcast every Friday morning. That will be between five and ten minutes long, real, real short podcasts about these issues. Um, the goal is for us to record them every Wednesday night and then get them out there Friday morning for you guys. And hopefully we can create a bit of a discussion there. I would actually, I'm going to be looking into doing a, uh, a Google voice number for the DC3Cast in, in general. People can leave us messages. But I think it'll be especially cool for people to leave us theories. The weeklies, what I love about the weeklies so much is that so much happens. There are so many theories out there for what's going on. So I would love to get some fan theories. Some great water cooler moments. Exactly. Where we can just all gather around the the virtual water cooler and yeah. talk. Talk Batman Eternal. Yeah. Um, and in general, I, I think that I can speak for uh, definitely for you, Zach. And I think for Vincent to a certain degree too. We've been given, and this is peeking behind the curtain a little bit, but DC has been really great to us lately in giving us access to more books to read. And I think that um, you know, I think as journalists, sometimes we're limited by what we have access to, mm-hmm. and having access to more DC. Not only comics, but DC creators. I know I'm more engaged in the DC product right now than I have been in a very long time. And I don't know if that's 100% because of the books or because of the circumstances that we find ourselves to be very blessed to be in and very lucky to be in. You know, we do a lot of work about DC Comics, and DC, you know, helps us do that work, and that's great. So... What I'm saying is, uh, listeners, if you guys want to hear us talk about something that we're not talking about, let us know. Because I, I know I know, I will certainly go out and do the reading to get ready for to talk about something. Yeah, definitely. You know. Because, uh, yeah, if, if there's, you know, reason to be excited about something, you know, tell us and we'll try and help get other people excited about it too. Yeah, you know, um, like I said, we... Each, I would say between the three of us, we read a pretty good cross-section of what DC is putting out. But I'm sure there are books that the three of us don't regularly check out. So if there's something out there, you know, if Lobo is great right now, I wouldn't know it. So yeah. tell me, you know, tell us. You know, that, um, I think that brings us to like a great way to maybe kind of like close out the show, mm-hmm. Brian, in 
what what are some of the things that you're most excited about at DC right now that you've been reading, or what what are the, what are one of the things that you would maybe recommend people to check out if they're maybe overlooking it? Well, we were just talking in between segments with Matt about Omega Men. I feel like we're a broken Omega Men record. <laughs> like we, yes. We love that book. Um, same thing with Justice League United. I think we all really like that book. Um, Gotham by Midnight is my pick this week, though. Um, I just recently caught up with the book, and I think that uh, Juan Ferreira is doing incredible work on that book. And just, you know, it, it's a it's very much a horror comic. And it reminds me in a weird way of Gotham Central because it's, again, it's a comic takes place in Gotham and Batman, the specter of Batman is over the book, but Batman does not really appear in it very often. Um, Gotham by Midnight is one of my choices. You know, I've, I've always talked about how much I love Grayson a lot. Martian Manhunter is doing really interesting stuff right now also. Um, that That's a book that I loved out of the gate and have kind of fallen behind a little bit on. I think I read the first two issues. Take the time and catch up. Okay. It's worth it. Um, okay. You know, like, and I guess I'm trying to think of one more that's a little bit outside of what we talk about. Because unfortunately, I think we're pretty good about talking about the stuff that we like. So mm-hmm. it's hard to remember the stuff that maybe we don't get to talk about that much. Um, let me see. The last thing I'll say is I really love Catwoman, and I'm very sad that that Genevieve Valentine is walking off that book. I didn't know that. Yeah, she's done next month. Really? Who's taking over? Frank Thierry. Maybe I did know that. That's a bummer. It is a bummer. Um, I'm not. I'm not current on that book, but I I know a lot of people really like it. It's really, really it's good been getting book. a lot of good buzz, and that makes me sad. That's a really good binge read too. Okay. Because nothing really crosses over with it, mm-hmm. so you can just sit there and just plow through them. And it's, it's quite good. So, but go ahead. What are the books that you're really excited about right now? Okay. Well, um, we were talking about earlier, um, the solicit, the latest solicitations came out and they, um, unpulled, pulled the veil off of Robin war, which is, you got announced around the same time as Batman eternal. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I'm pretty, pretty excited about just based on, the creative attached and just the format. I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I think it's what is so, like a six issue crossover or seven. Yeah. Issue crossover yeah. It's got a few tie-ins, like other books that are tying in, but it's, you know, tangential. They're not, I think the first month has five parts to it that are, yeah, has five parts to it. And then there's going to be a, a book sixth, issue right? in January. Yeah. Yes. So the six part crossover with like, two or three tie-ins so really self-contained um but so in in preparation for that or you know just off of that hype i caught up on both we are robin and robin son of batman this week and i i really like both of those books and i you know after the first issue i was kind of unimpressed with both of them um for various reasons um but I would say, especially We Are Robin is a book that people need to check out if they if they haven't been or if you know it kind of has flown under their radar, um, because Lee Lee Bermeo and and Carrie Randolph and everybody involved they're doing some they're doing some really interesting stuff with Robin 
and like what it means to be Robin and just what it means to be like a Gotham citizen or like a, a, a vigilante in Gotham. And um, the the third issue has a really great twist that I definitely didn't see coming. Um, and also just a really powerful kind of like emotional residence that's followed up in the fourth issue that had a, a guest artist. Um, I, I can't remember. I think I don't want to get the name wrong. I can look um, Hang on. Let's see. I think it's James Harvey, maybe? Yes, that sounds right to me. Okay. And it is probably um, my favorite issue artistically that I've, that I've seen this year. The whole like year? I, if, the whole year. Wow. Um, like, it, it is one of the, like, best-looking books I've, I've read all year. Um, and just the premise of it, it you know, it's, got, there's a, it's a great cast. Um, they're really, really fleshed out, which that was one of my initial concerns is I was like, this is a really large cast. I don't know if I'm going to connect with any of these characters. And I can say by issue four that I am connecting with them. Um, so yeah, that's definitely my, my recommendation. Go check out We Are Robin. Um, not to end the episode on a downer. Is there anything you've checked out recently that you've been a little disappointed with? Um, trying to think, honestly, uh, outside of this little Robin catch up that I've been on, I haven't really had time to read a lot of stuff. Um, I, I've been, I've been really like pleasantly surprised with justice league. I wanted to throw out out there. That's a bigger book than I'm, I know most people are reading, but I think the book that book is the best it's been in, in a long time. Um, maybe the thing that I'm most disappointed in right now is the Superman line a little bit. Um, yeah, I think we all had higher hopes for that. Than yeah. It wound up I'm, happening. I'm getting just a little burned out on the whole truth thing. And as cool as, you know, as great as Aaron Cooter's uh, new Superman design is um i'm i'm already kind of uh longing for the the more traditional look yeah and and just uh, yeah i don't know it's just maybe it's the fact that it's lasting a little bit longer than i expected just in terms of i i don't know it kind of almost seems like it's in a little bit of a holding pattern right now yeah i don't, I don't know that. Um, the one it's not would, bad, but it's just not. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I would say about the Superman line in general is that there hasn't been a time in the New Fifty Two where they've just let Superman be Superman. Yeah, yeah. And I'm looking forward to when they get to that point. Yeah, me too. Uh, the one disappointment I'll talk about. I, I was saying to Zach off mic before that one of the things I do is we do a column on Multiversity called Rapping Wednesday, and it's micro reviews. So it's something that. You know, you don't you write three or four paragraphs and it's done. So what I'll do is every week I'll look through my sort of the books I want to be catching up on that I haven't read, and I'll go back and I'll kind of binge them and then I'll I'll review one of them. And this week I read the Wonder Woman seventy seven special number two, mm-hmm. and when they announced that book, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was you know oh wow this is the same sort of nostalgia that drives Batman sixty six, and it's going to be a good thing. I can't tell you how disappointing that book was. Oh, that's a bummer. Uh, none of the art reflected the 70s whatsoever. 
And I feel like if you're going to do a book set in 1977, you really have to make it look like it's set in 1977. Mm-hmm. And they just did not do that whatsoever. Um, I didn't feel there was a lot of the TV show in the book. It was just an excuse to draw Linda Carter's face and the old Wonder Woman costume. And that's, that's a bummer. A, yeah, that is because, I, uh, you know, I feel like Batman 66 did such a great job out of the gate of capturing that aesthetic. Yeah. You know? And I wrote about this a little bit today too, but, you know, part of that is that if I said to you, like, name five elements of Batman 66, but you can't mention Batman, you could do it. Mm-hmm. You would say, like, the sound effects, the, the onomatopoeia sound effects on screen, the Dutch angles, the... Um, Joker's mustache. Joker's mustache, exactly. <laughs> There's just, there are things that, like, instantly jump out at you. You know, the three different Catwoman, you know? Yeah. There are things about the show. If I say to you, you can't mention Wonder Woman, name, th- name five things about Wonder Woman 77. And you yeah. can't name, you can't say her spin around thing because that involves Wonder Woman. What are you going to say about that show? I, I can't exactly. And you know, both of us are too young to have watched it when it was new, but it never really got rerun in the same way that Batman sixty six did. And if you're not go to me, if you're going to do a book called that, then you have to double down. Like I, one of the things I was thinking about today was in Batman sixty six, I feel like every single background character looks like a stereotype cliche of the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> because they want to remind you this is taking place in 1966. Mm-hmm. And Wonder Woman 77 did none of that. Yeah. Like one guy has his shirt unbuttoned and there's like a necklace he's wearing. They're like, oh, that's a 70s necklace. That's literally the one thing in the whole book. Yeah. Oh, well. Maybe uh, Lois and Clark 93 is going <laughs> to do better. I was thinking they were going to do uh, Superman 55. Oh, that'd be good, too. I don't know when that show was on, actually. Would it be black and white? Yes. Wasn't that show in black and white? It was, yeah. It was, yes. That would be interesting. I would read that. That show... A, a, a black and white Superman show set in the... Uh, a comic set in the 50s. It, it was from 52 to 58 it was on. Okay. But it was it was in color for the last four seasons. Okay. So you could even do it in color if you wanted to. Yeah. But I think that would be awesome. Yeah. But Lois and Clark 93 is not bad either. Oh. I don't know. You know, um, I do think that in general, DC's digital first line has been so solid. That's part yeah. of the reason. I mean... I just expected Wonder Woman seventy seven to be good because everything else has been pretty good. Well, and that, I mean, it, it, is it is it being handled the same way that Batman sixty six is, where it's a fairly consistent consistent creative team, or is it more anthology based, like like uh, Sensation Comics? Uh, Mark and Draco is the regular writer on it. Okay, and then artists come in, and f- but that's the same with Batman sixty six. You know, Jonathan Case did the first arc, but you know, lots of people have come in and done arcs in that book, right? Yeah, which has, has did you see that Mike Allred is doing He's the doing, art for the final issue? Yes, and his brother Lee is writing the if I'm right. Issue, yes, that's right. Which is the same thing that happened with FF, which is yes. Um, but yeah, I, I I do think that overall, and we say this I feel like every month, but I think it repeats saying, 
I think DC's product overall is in a much stronger place in 2015 than it was probably since 2010. Yeah. Or 2009 even, maybe. Yeah. 2010 was when Blackest Night wrapped up, and I feel like after that, yeah, it, it wasn't quite the same. Yeah, they they had they had peaked. Yeah, I agree. And um, I guess that just about does it for our show. Uh, get well soon, Vince. We missed you, buddy. Matt was nice and all, but he, he's no Vince. <laughs> uh, you can follow Vince on Twitter at vj underscore o s t r o w s k i. You can follow me on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. And I'm on Twitter at SirFox89, S-I-R-F-O-X-89. We will have another guest in next week, hope, next month, hopefully. And remember, in this same feed, you will be getting a weekly update on Batman Robin Eternal. First one dropping this Friday. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back in a couple of days. Good night. Good night. Sweet, sweet!